the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. We have begun a wonderful series a few weeks back on the topic of character building because we really believe it's vital for Christians if they really want to be a, the light in the world. Part of being the light of the world is to demonstrate Christ likeness and that's going to show up in many of Christ-like character traits. And so we're talking about how to do that and what a wonderful study that we're gaining. We've already learned from this study that even the world wants to have character. There's many secular programs on character building even in the business and professional community and the educational world as well. And as good as they all are, generally they focus on the person becoming a better person so that they could either keep their job or get a promotion in their job or get a raise or whatever. It kind of makes the things go better on your job or things go better in school and life. And that's good, but what they do leave out is that it's not Christ-centered, which means that it's often not about bringing glory to the Lord, nor is it about how that we can sustain that character trait because it's the Holy Spirit living out that character trait through us. So we're really approaching the same subject, but we're approaching it from a more uh, doable vantage point, which would be from Christ. And so we define the whole concept of character as the combination of moral qualities which show forth the righteousness of Christ through the life of a Christian. And we're learning how to do that, and we're calling it the ABCs of character building. Uh, make it simple for us. In each uh, letter, we come up with another character trait found in the Bible, found in the life of Christ or God, so that we could learn that. And what I'm finding now that we're all the way to letter K, that as I fellowship with different ones of you, you're all trying to guess, well, what is going to be letter L, and what's M going to be? And they always want to know, what is X going to be? Well, you be here for X, because I'm not sure what that's going to be either, but it's going to be a good one, I can tell you. So we're all learning these character traits. Well, today we're going to talk about kindness. And there are certain character traits that, you know, our lives seem to find it easier. It might be because it's coming off of more of our personality traits, so it's easier to do that. Some of it, it could be coming off of maybe a spiritual gift that we have. But in reality, we'll have good ones that find it easy to manifest those through the Spirit. But then there are all others that we have to dig deeper into Christ and really sense how that can come out from Him through us to others. And kindness, I have to be honest with you, maybe because of my personality trait, maybe because of my upbringing, for sure it's because we're all wrapped in flesh. Truly, kindness for me is something that um, I realize that I struggle with. And so those of you that are saying, oh no, Pastor, you're one of the kindest guys I ever know. And I'll tell you right now, you probably really don't know me very well, but I do struggle with kindness. Sometimes uh, my wife, uh, by lunchtime, she'll be asking if I put razor blades in my cornflakes when I had for breakfast. And so I do struggle with that. But I have to tell you, though, maybe because I realize that is a tendency for me to be unkind, that I unpack a little bit more. Why am I struggling with unkindness? Why do I need to have kindness? What is kindness? How can I 
allow the fruit of the Spirit to make me kind. I'm not going to embarrass you by asking you how many of you struggle with being kind in deed and in tongue. But I think from time to time, we all struggle with that. Maybe through fatigue, maybe we're under a lot of frustration and pressure, and all of a sudden that monster of unkindness may come out. I was thinking a lot about it, maybe for me, I'm not trying to psychoanalyze me, but maybe to help you a little bit. I got thinking, if I am unkind, what brings out my unkindness? It's generally what I might want to call a blocked goal, something that I want to accomplish, something that I want to get done. So I might try a little bit to be kind and massage it. That would be called manipulation. If that doesn't work, my unkindness comes out and I become really intimidating to get to my particular goal. When in reality, my goal is this. Watch it. It is I have my rights and I want to have my rights met. And so when I start looking at my life, I can start discerning where some of my unkindness goes. I have an unrealistic and unbiblical goal to get done instead of really having a life of trust in the Lord. And so since uh, we might have some unyielded rights, I thought I'd let you take one of those uh, kindness quotient tests this morning. So just listen to see how well you might do on this. See how you are in behaving unkindly. It's usually when we believe we have the right to the following. So just listen. We have the right to relax. And something keeps us from relaxing. Maybe something comes in to crowd your Sunday afternoon nap. Or the right to a quiet house. Some of you, you hope to have some quietness maybe and your house isn't very quiet. Or the right maybe for some of you to have your meals prepared and given to you on time. You're kind of a fuss bucket on timing and scheduling and you've got to have your meal at a certain way, certain time. And when that happens, you're unkind in your response. Maybe some of you really like freedom, and so that becomes a little bit uh, confined to you. You don't work well under authority, and when authority is kind of coming down on you and you don't have the freedom to be yourself, you're a little unkind. How about the feeling of the right to be respected or appreciated or wanted or needed? Now, those are relational terms, often in a marriage, sometimes in a family, when you feel like you're unappreciated and that they don't respect you or they don't like you or they don't want you or you're not needed. All of a sudden, you can be unkind in your response back to those people. Or how about the right to be understood? Now listen, this kind of fits into our culture. Because some of us uh, maybe, maybe are not so connecting to the way people might speak, the way they might deliver their information. It might be said a little bit with broken English, we might say. And some that are wanting to have that information quickly, we kind of walk across the tongue of the other person. Because we have the right to be understood. And that person then could have a little bit of unkindness back and forth going on. Or the right to a clean house and the right to your time. It goes on and on. You know, this morning I was looking at that beautiful table of delicious fruit and all the food we had set out there. And I got thinking as I walked by that table that probably the most, um, I guess, uh, unpopular fruit, the fruit that's most unra- underrated would be the kiwi. How many know what a kiwi fruit is? Anybody? Anybody know what a kiwi fruit is? When I go shopping with Carol and we're in the fruit section, and of course I can spot a pineapple, I love pineapples and I love bananas and apples, but when I look at that kiwi, you know what it looks like, kids? It looks like a golf ball with fuzz all over it. And then they tell me that when you open it up and you slice it and you peel it back, It's beautiful kind of green fruit that is sweet and tangy. It's everything you'd really like. But most of the time we don't say, what do you want for fruit? Kiwi. We don't do that. We want something else. Well, I said that to say this simply, that kindness often is one of those underrated fruit of the Spirit. A lot of people talk about kindness, be kind to one another, even be kind to animals, but they often really don't know how to define kindness. When I was preparing this, as I went through the Greek, the Hebrew, definitions galore, what other people had to say about it, 
they all kind of touched on the kiwi fruit of kindness, but none of them really unpacked it in a clear fashion. So what I'm hoping to do today is to bring in one instrument of kindness, another instrument of kindness, so we'll have a symphony, a surround sound, so that when we leave here, we're going to say, ah, I know what kindness is, and I know I'm not there yet, and so I'm going to go to the Lord because that's where I need to be in my life, unkindness. So with that, I found some truths about kindness. One from a great writer, Philip Keller, seems to unpack some issues from Psalms and, and uh, the shepherd. And he said kindness is uh, meaning to be bright and cheery. I thought, that's, that's kindness, but I think it's more than that. Stephen Winward said kindness includes sympathy or generosity or benevolence. Even the King James Version of the Bible, for some of you that are into that, you're going to find that they don't use the word kindness as often as they will use the word gentleness. So sometimes you're going to see the word kindness and gentleness, they're kind of swapped back and forth. And so I don't know that you want to divide them up too far. It's like, again, a baseball team. You've got first base, second base, third base. And so you've got kindness and gentleness and meekness. They're all different, but they're all still played within the same game. So then I said what I need to do is to go to those that are more authoritative, those that would be more etymologists, those would be students of actual words. And so I went to Funk and Wagnall's Desk Dictionary, and here's what they said kindness was. This might help you when you're working with your kids. It means gentle. And I like the next phrase. It means to be considerate. You can be gentle but not considerate, so that might help you. Another one says that kindness proceeds from good-heartedness. I like that because it talks about not just manufacturing. We can be kind, and I could call that sin management. We know how to manage ourselves to act kindly, but inside it's still coming from a seething cesspool. And so now we're manipulating, and we're really not authentically kind, so it comes from good-heartedness. And, of course, I went back to the very first dictionary of the American language, Noah Webster, and here's what he had to say about it. He said, it's the temper or disposition. I like that because, again, it wasn't sin management. It's coming from a, a, a person, your wiring system, we might say. He says, it's a person that delights in contributing to the happiness of others. For, if you will, just for a moment, would you allow your mind to go back like a video machine and think about some conversations that you've had recently with your mate, with your kids, with someone you go to school with, someone on the job, and there was some unkindness expressed verbally or maybe in some action back and forth. And maybe what you could do is take a little bit of personal ownership, regardless of how you were treated or how frustrated they made you, and maybe ask yourself, could I now get help from the Lord now to contribute to the happiness of others? But even that's a little surfacey. He goes a little bit further and he says it means exercising cheerfulness and gratifying others' wishes. Now, I thought that was good too because sometimes we'll do something nice for someone if they really need the help. But if they really don't need the help, then I have my time and I can be and do what I really want. This one here is when someone wants something that they really don't need. It's kind of like a little bit extra scoop of ice cream on their dessert. And will you give them just a little bit more because you know that's what they really like. That's part of the definition. And then the final one that uh, Noah Webster gave was this. It means supplying the wants of others and also alleviating them in their distress. Sometimes when we want to manifest kindness to someone else, it's easier to do it to someone that when we know when we're kind to them, they're kind back to us. Sometimes it's easy to be kind to a little puppy because they're so friendly. But who wants to be kind to a, to a roaring, barking uh, Doberman Pinscher that's coming at us at a fence maybe as we walk by on our afternoon walks? We don't like to do that. Well, here it's talking about those that are in distress, they especially need our kindness. And listen, listen, distressed people often are those that are harder to show kindness to because they're prickly. 
You know what I mean by that? You know what I mean by a prickly person? And so they're harder to be like that. A phrase we've, you've heard me say here often, it might help you in your relationships, is hurting people hurt people. Well, it's hard to be kind to a hurtful person. But if you go a little bit further and say maybe they're hurtful because they're hurting. Now, most of the time we're saying they're hurtful because they're just jerks. And that's true sometimes. But sometimes they're hurting. And it takes an especially kind person that is flowing with the kindness of God to go a little bit deeper to find out what do they really need. Sometimes they're jerks because they were hurt so many years before we ever knew them. And they're now just living out that life. And so all around them are broken relationships. And maybe we could be the one through kindness that could be the glue to put them back together again. Just think about that. Well, in the Hebrew, there's a Hebrew word that means to treat courteously and appropriately. In fact, it often likes to just translate that word kindness a little bit broader and say it's just loving kindness. I think that's kind of neat. You love to be kind and you take your kindness with love and you then put it on someone else. The Hebrews really had it right. I love that language and how they express themselves. But going to the New Testament, there's two words here. doesn't matter how you pronounce them, but one word is Christos, and it says this, serviceable, good, pleasant, or gracious. Ooh, if I'm a kind person, that means I'm going to be useful. So sometimes kindness is just serving another person. And so we might look about that as well. And then you have philanthropia, or like the word we'd say in English, a philanthropist. How many of you know a philanthropist? Anybody know a philanthropist? When we define philanthropist, we think of an extremely wealthy person who's going to give his resources to those that are in need. He's a philanthropist. She's a philanthropist. They give. Can I tell you, you can be a very poor person and you could take some little thing that you have, your most expensive thing that you have that you value the most, your T-I-M-E, and you can give it to someone else and for that moment, you are doing something with philanthropy because you are a philanthropist so it doesn't matter how many resources that you have but whatever you have you want to give it away to someone else that has less than what you have that means every man woman boy and girl we can do that here so it doesn't mean that we just have to feed the homeless it could be someone in your own home this afternoon that you can lighten the load for them by being kind to them so that's a little bit about kindness here's a definition you might put on your refrigerator help your kids work on it a little bit more it's in your notes there and it's this word any word or deed that promotes the welfare and happiness of others. Now, you could make that work for you, massage it a little bit, so it is involved in words. But sometimes you've got to do more than just send a little note to someone. Sometimes you've got to carry the load for them, and it might be a deed that's going to promote their welfare. In other words, you're going to do something for them to make them more well. You're going to add value to their life, is what I might say. And, of course, when you do that, there's happiness. Well, I can talk all about kindness and I can pray to a lot of people in front of you and I'll give you some testimonies in a moment, but there's no greater person to know about kindness than God himself. And so if you will, let's look at how God is described in being kind here. And I love it because out of these six passages of Scripture, five of them, the psalmist is actually praying back to God in a conversation about who God is and God is one who is very kind. So you can see that the psalmist really picked out one of the great traits that wasn't an underrated trait of God, which would be kindness. And here's what he says about him. And then there's one more passage we're going to see in this list of six where now he is speaking to the Gentiles, to those who are out the faith of God. And what they're doing is expressing to the unsaved people who great, who, how God is so great and good. Well, let's look at it first. You can just jot these down. It doesn't take a lot. First one is marvelous. God is marvelous in his kindness. Marvelous. Show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand. Oh, you who save those who trust in you from those who rise up against them. Ooh, 
Show your marvelous loving kindness. Now, how can I make sense out of that for us right here for just a moment? All right? Here it says, Lord, show your marvelous loving kindness to those who trust in you when there's enemies that rise up against them. So here's how it makes sense for me. First of all, I look to the Lord and I say, Lord, you will do that on my behalf. But maybe, Lord, because you're so loving kind, I would like you to live, watch this now, your loving kindness out through me as I look at people who are being oppressed and abused by others. And if I'm going to be Christ-like, then God's marvelous loving kindness will show forth to me as I step in and I run interference with someone else who's being maybe verbally abused. And now take that whole concept into a family when you hear a lot of nya-nya-nya that's going on. You take that on to a meeting that you're going in. You might have to be the one that will show loving kindness to the person who's being verbally abused and say time out and allow God's marvelous loving kindness to show to you so that you can then show it to them to perhaps have a little bit of peace in that moment. Well, let's look at the second. It's described as being excellent. Now, some translations say excellent. Others say precious. It says, how precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. Now, that's looked upon for Christ. All of us who are now in the beginning of our journey with the Lord, if you really want to get to know the Lord, I want you to focus on His perfect and His wonderful loving kindness. And that's good because now you're going to see that's who God is. But I want you to take it a step further. Once we know who God is, we know from Old Testament to New Testament that God would want us to be God-like. So, stay in that same passage there. So if we are to have perfect, wonderful, loving kindness, then it says, when I display that, like God displays His wonderful, loving kindness, what does that cause people to do? Trust in them. Now, here's how you could bridge this. Listen carefully. You bridge it this way. When you are wanting to build a relationship with someone... In building that relationship with someone, you know that it's built upon what we call trust, confidence, and respect. Those are all in the same family. When you respect someone, you trust someone, that builds that relationship and glues it together. Using this passage as our model, what then builds trust in the Lord when we recognize His loving kindness? So when I am a loving, kind person in my family, people will respect me. People will trust me. You that go into the wild world of work, when you're kind and loving to people, people are going to start respecting you because they can see other people who fly off the handle when they go through stress. But you tend to be loving and kind and you're able to uh, um, guard your spirit like the proverb says with a loving and kind demeanor about you. So we learn this by being looking at Christ. All right, let's get to the third one here. It says continuous. Oh, continue your loving kindness to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright in heart. And as I look to the Lord and that he's the one that will never fail in his loving kindness, that even when he disciplines me, it's because he loves me and it's coming out of a loving, kind spirit of God. With that being said, I know that I'm a partaker of God's divine nature. And so not only am I to be loving and kind to someone else, look up here. It's the idea of continuing in this. We need to begin to show a new spirit about us so that when people look at us, we be one that people want to come to. We become attractive. Here it is, here it is. Because we're safe. Kind people are safe to run to. Kind people we feel like we can open up and share with. Kind people we can tell things to because kind people are not volatile. And so that's what it's saying. And so for us, sometimes we've learned to marshal ourselves to be kind on an occasion or at certain times. But God is kind continually. And that's the same nature we want to have. The next word is the word good. 
says, Hear me, O God, for your loving kindness is good. Turn to me according to the multitude of your tender mercies. And the next one is the word merciful. And I like this one now because merciful is describing God in his loving kindness. Here it says, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples or people groups. For his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. I'd like you to stop for just a moment and look up here for this. I'd like you to think about what I'm about to give to you on struggling with your kindness. When I was doing this study of all the times in Scripture kindness was mentioned, Old and New Testament, what I found that was so unusual that was either in the verse or in the passage or in the biblical example of a person's life in the Bible, what I noticed how frequently these two traits went together. Kindness and mercy. It was huge. One verse says to put on like clothes, kindness. It said put on like clothes, mercy. So here's what I got thinking about that. I got thinking, why would mercy and kindness go so close together? And so as I, I, I spent about two weeks just thinking about mercy, kindness, why do they go together? Why are they so close? And here's my conclusion on this. Because God was putting it so close, so I need to put them together. That's kind of, both, both are important. I thought, when we generally are unkind to someone else, it's probably because we've judged them. We've judged them as being ignorant, foolish. We judge them as stepping on our rights. Somehow, we have marginalized that other person. When we marginalize, judge, or condemn that other person, it's often coming from a spirit within us that we would say is unmerciful. So now when I look to God, what is mercy? Listen, mercy is not getting what we do deserve. So if God is merciful, that's why part of it is He is kind to us. So if I want to be Christ-like to others, then I have to quit judging them and maybe that will allow the fruit of the Spirit of kindness to come out. That I don't struggle with kindness, that's not my real problem. My real problem is, is I'm judging everybody. I'm criticizing everybody. I'm better than everybody. I know more than they know. And so all of a sudden, pride kicks itself up. And you know only by pride comes contention. When you have contention, you don't have mercy, you don't have kindness. So all of it rubs together. So for some of you that want to dig deeper within you to find out, why do you snap at your kids? Why do you curse at your mate? Why do you get angry at your boss when you drive home? Why do you blow up at the person that's a sales representative or something? It could be because at that moment there's a degree of pride. You were stepped on. You did not have that merciful spirit, so there was no way kindness could ever come out. Because mercy and kindness go together often. And it seems to be those two traits are so compatible with God. And so the more godlike I'll be, the more merciful I'll be, therefore the kinder I will become. So I just thought about that. You'll see it again a little bit later on. And then finally, describing God's kindness, it's reviving and refreshing. It says, revive me according to your loving kindness so that I may keep the testimony of your mouth. Now again, I'm not trying to be God. You don't want to be God either. But could it be that, listen moms and dads for a moment, could it be that we have wounded or broken the spirit of our children, grandparents, of your grandkids, because in some measure that you are unkind, or worse yet, you're unpredictable. You're kind one day and unkind the next day. They don't know. It's fee-fi-fo-fum. You don't know what kind of dad they're going to have when he comes home from work. And so you're kind one day and bad the next. You blame it on your job, blame it on traffic. It's easy. We all do. But when you have that, what happens according to that passage right there, it could be then that it puts a spirit of dampness, quietness on your family, and they feel dead, they feel dull. I wonder if you had a conversation with your kids that they felt like they want, they want to come home. 
Maybe some of the kids want to bolt out of the house as quickly as they can because they felt that there was no kindness displayed to them for whatever reason. Could it be in a relationship that sometimes there is a, you're living together in the same house but you're divorced emotionally? Could it be that we might not have been kind to one another and now there's that spirit of dampness? How many of you, and don't raise your hands, you really don't like to go to work? Tomorrow you're going to work because you need the paycheck. You know the jobs are being closed down all over the island and you're afraid to lose your job but you absolutely hate going to work. Could it be that there is a spirit of lack of kindness where you work? And so employers, bosses, managers, whomever you might be, maybe if you would display a kind spirit, it might cause people again to want to be around you. It will, here it is, revive them, refresh them. So if you're sensing a dullness and a discouragement, a lack of revival, it could be because there's a bit of unkindness displayed just for something for you to think about now, some of you might say well, what could I do to demonstrate kindness well I'll give you some principles in a moment but let me give you some practical things you can do there's hundreds of them you can jot some of these down if you want one of them would be visiting the sick elderly and lonely let me tell you what you won't get from a sick elderly or lonely person they will not change the flat tire you have they often don't have money to give you when you have a special financial need they probably can't cook you a meal they can't sew a button on your shirt. So what can sick people do? Well, if they've got an infection, they may give that to you. But in reality, here's what a sicker, elderly person who might be lonely can do for you. When you're around them, it's amazing how these people can so encourage you. And so by being kind to them, really, often, they are kind back. Now, you don't do it for that reason, but when it happens, it floods you. This is Joe Pons, and I want to thank you for listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Clarity Christian College. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It's the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. That's makeitclear.org. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please email us at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. That's tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.